The Athletic Podcast Network is supported by the Quip electric toothbrush known as the iPhone of toothbrushes. Engineered by industrial designers, Quip is sleek and simple. Time magazine named Quip one of their best inventions of the year. GQ declared it one of the best grooming products on the market. And Oprah put it on her prestigious O-list. Join millions of brushers who use Quip to make their mouths happy and healthy. Get your first refill free at getquip.com slash listen. That's getquip.com slash listen. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside here, back for another edition of Two Men Advantage, the podcast, and as always, joined by Pierre Lebrun in Toronto. So, Pierre, I'm going to, like I always like to do, I like to cut you off even before you even get going. Um, We are going to hear from Minnesota Wild GM Bill Guerin later in the podcast, a very timely chat with Mr. Guerin later on, but once again, news off the top of the podcast one of the top free agents in the hockey world now off the market and that would be you my friend just moments <laughs> ago tweeting that you've signed an extension with TSN so I, I I didn't want you scooped us by tweeting it before recording the podcast but I'll forgive you but uh, congratulations good for you and I'm sure uh, hockey fans uh, across Canada are, are exceedingly delighted at your extension yeah, well, I figured if there's one story I had to break this week, it'd be my own. So I thought I'd get it out there. <laughs> no, is it's, uh, it's terrific. You know, I, I've been at TSN since 2011, and after a wonderful stay at Hockey Night on the TV side, my Hockey Night memories are terrific. Didn't leave for any negative reasons. It was more about the family life and uh, living a more Monday to Friday existence, which I get at TSN, except when there's a trade. <laughs> and uh, it's been great. And uh, earlier this season... Uh, also signed extension with the athletic and life is good it's been a great marriage between the athletic and tsn i'm absolutely know every day that i wake up that i'm a fortunate guy i don't take it for granted well and i i'm just pleased to report that i've had such a significant hand in all of that for you so <laughs> okay, that was, I, I made that part up. You did. Um, okay. you, you laughed, but you did pave the way for me to, to get to ESPN.com many years ago after uh, you begged them, literally begged your bosses there to hire me. I, I do remember, uh, not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but I do remember a sort of secret flight from, I want to say, Ottawa to uh, Hartford and then on to Bristol, uh when you first met with the ESPN folks, do I have that right? Yeah, it was a bit cloak and dagger at the time because it uh, wasn't clear what I was going to do. Yeah, that's a good memory, buddy. Right after the draft. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, well let's let's get on to uh, the uh, the other big news of the day. And uh, listen, it's been a crazy few days as we approach the NHL trade deadline. So we're you know, as we're taping this, we're about 10 days out. Um, as mentioned, we're going to talk to Billy Guerin, the, uh, and of course the Minnesota Wild and Pittsburgh Penguins pulling off a huge deal the other day with Jason Zucker going to Pittsburgh, Galchenyuk, first-round pick going back to Minnesota. We'll talk about that. But to me, the, like it's just it's been incredible the last few days to look at, and I'm pulling up my notes here, number of prominent players and the number of prominent teams that are now dealing with you know, absolutely pivotal injuries, or let me put it this way, a- injuries to absolutely pivotal pieces. And so I'll just quickly run down you. Connor McDavid, of course, in Edmonton, who knows, a couple weeks. Hope You know, the Oilers hope maybe less than that. Of course, Seth Jones out long-term uh, with surgery there on his ankle. Uh, Jay Bowmeister uh, suffering a cardiac spell last night that uh, prompted Boy, the game between Anaheim scary. and St. Louis My to be... Yeah, and but uh, the reports certainly early as we're taping this, he's in good condition. So you know, positive thoughts there. But who knows in terms of you know his ability to return to the Blues lineup? John Marino in Pittsburgh, Nazem Kadri in Colorado, Casey Zekas for the Islanders. Uh, I haven't seen any kind of update uh, from Joe Smith or or Tampa, but um, Anthony Sorelli and uh, Nikita Kucherov did not finish that game against uh, Pittsburgh. 
Uh, man, it's it's crazy. And I, I know you tweeted it earlier, but at like 10 days from the trade deadline, this is this is crazy stuff. And I wonder what you what you make of it and, and you know, what kind of pressure it puts GMs in to adjust for that or compensate for that as they approach the deadline. Yeah, it's really a GM's nightmare to to suffer a major injury right now because it, it you don't want to get backed into um, being in a bad leverage position and having to make a trade that your counterparts know you have to make. Right? I mean, that, that's the worst the worst position to be in. I mean, it was you know Kyle Dubas kind of uh, referred to that last week and talking to the media in Toronto about you know, trading for Jack Campbell and Kyle Clifford, but specifically in Jack Campbell having to address his backup goalie position. He, you know, the vultures were circling. <laughs> the whole world knew that he had to to go get a goalie or else the least season was probably sank with uh, with uh, Freddie Anderson injured at the time. So um, that it, that's the worst case scenario for these teams. But, you know, I, I was talking to a GM yesterday that, uh, and we were off to record, so I can't name him, but, you know, who's, uh, and I guess I could say this because there have been so many injuries, you won't know who I'm talking about, but he just lost a player recently. And, but as he said, you know, that player's coming back. So it's not, I mean, you know, the knee jerk reaction is, uh, you know, yesterday when Edmonton announced a Connor McDavid news, oh, well, they better get in on Peugeot, a player that they do like, by the way, but they better get on him now. Well, McDavid is coming back. So I think, you know, what sometimes the injuries will do is that even if the players are coming back, it might be a reminder to the GM or kind of a like a flash moment that, oh boy, that could happen first round of the playoffs too, couldn't it? I better get another D or I better do this. And I know it sounds odd saying that, but sometimes living it in the moment, especially right now, just before the trade deadline, that kind of thing in a game will actually spur on a team that maybe was on the fence to make that call back to that team and say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to pay that price for that number 60. Right. And I think you'll start seeing some of that here. Well, and I mean, I think you raise a, a good point. And I wonder if we'll see, uh, you know, the value of a guy like uh, JG Pajot, who is the, the top uh, potential rental center on the market. Um, you know, does, uh, you know, does his value go up? And, and, and specifically, and I think of, you know, Seth Jones is, I mean, he's out eight to 10 weeks, uh, fractured ankle. So that's a huge blow it, to me. You know, I don't know where Seth Jones fit would have fit in on my Norris trophy ballot, but he's, mm. he would have been on it. Um, you know, what's the pressure on Yarmo Kekalainen? And, and does it drive up the value of a guy like Alec Martinez or um, Brendan um, Dillon in San Jose? I mean, they aren't they aren't guys who replace Seth Jones in that lineup, but they are defenders who could be available. And Dillon definitely will, who is um, potential UFA in San Jose. But do you, is, do you think there's that ripple effect, or do you think it's all so specific, you know, Doug Wilson's going to do, you know, try and move the pieces that he wants to move in San Jose because um, they're in a, the, the position they are, which is they're, they're sellers. So is Rob Blake in L.A. You know, maybe Yarmo Kekalainen is looking at it and saying, you know what, we're we're just going to we're going to gut it out. Or maybe he does have to switch gears, given how well that team is played. I guess whether there's that ripple effect where guys all of a sudden take on a new value. And, and I agree with you on McDavid and Edmonton. Right. I mean. I think they're going to reevaluate in a week. They were expecting maybe two to three weeks. I mean, that's 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 acceptable, uh, even though they're not assured of a playoff spot yet. But Seth Jones is in a different spot given his long-term mm-hmm. absence. Yeah, that one really stings for Columbus, and and they've had a million injuries. It's funny we talked a lot about Pittsburgh and their ability to overcome so many injuries, especially in the first half of the year. Columbus has been just as dramatic with their yep. litany of injuries, similar to Montreal, except the Canadians haven't coped with it as well as, as Columbus and Pittsburgh. Um, and the thing is, here's what I would say about Columbus. You know, they had told teams throughout the season, dating way back to September, frankly, that they had XSD, right? That they felt they were 9, 10, 11 deep in the organization at the blue line position and were willing to, to trade one in exchange for a top nine forward. I don't know that they can now trade one. It would be my answer to your <laughs> to the, right. yeah. the, you know, the, the byproduct of the Seth Jones injury. The reality is there's no one in their lineup that says good as Seth Jones. 
But at the very least, it means that perhaps that one defenseman that they thought they might deal, they got to keep now. That They just have to all hands on deck. You know, it reminds me a bit of Calgary, right? Which loses Giordano and, in fact, then loses Hamannick. And there was a time where other teams in the league, right before the Giordano injury, were telling me they thought TJ Brody might get dealt in a trade that would get Calgary a top six forward. Well, I, I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe Brad Treeliving has so many deals up his sleeve that he could still trade Brody, but then go out and make separate trades for Fords. But I assume the easiest, the most, you know, the simplest thing to do is to just keep JJ Brody for the rest of the year and figure the rest out later. Um, right. And so that's what happens. I mean, that's, you always, you know, if you're going to get an injury, you hope it's at a position of strength and not at a position of weakness. It just so happens for Columbus that even though it's, it's still a huge blow because Seth Jones is a Norris trophy cont- contender every year. But at least that's the position on the team where they got bodies, whereas they're really thin up front. They need help at center. Uh, they're winning a lot of low-scoring games, and and if they're going to get help, they need to get help up front. Well, and and you alluded to this, but do you see then when something like that happens, and, and you know, we've been – there were a bunch of teams that it's hard to tell whether they're truly buyers or truly sellers, and I, I think of – you know, we'll ask Bill Guerin about it, but Minnesota has played itself right back into, you know, the thick of the right. playoff hunt. Now, Bill Guerin's obviously got a plan, and Jason Zucker is is now in Pittsburgh as part of that. But I think of Kevin Dayoff in Winnipeg, who is desperate for defensive help, and we talked about them last week as a team that, man, if they sneak into the playoffs, if they're able to find a way into the top eight, and Kevin Dayoff is able to use some of the Dustin Bufflin cap space, which he should be able to be using if he wants to between now and the deadline. You know, they're a team that could be, you know, could definitely be a player. Mm-hmm. Nashville, right in that mix. How do they factor into it? But I wonder now, do you, if you're, if you're Kevin Shovel Dayoff or if you're Jarmo Kekalainen, and you, does the pressure now mount to say, geez, I, if I'm looking at Alec Martinez in LA or Brendan Dillon in San Jose, I, I really got to get in this or I may be, you know, I, I may be without a chair when the music stops or is, do we think sometimes we just make that stuff up? Maybe I sometimes think in the media, we're like, okay, the urgency is now. Is no, I, I, I've heard, today? no, I've, I've had GMs admit to me over the course of my career that if a real close rival of theirs makes a significant move right before the deadline. Like sometimes I mean three days before the deadline. It, it tends to be very emotional in the moment. You know, right. do I need to respond to that? Which is sometimes when you make your worst deal. But that is the, you know, the human emotion of it all. When you're running a team and you know you're going to play that team probably at some point if your team has a playoff run, that's the most difficult thing to control as a GM, I think, is not to make it a, yeah. not to make it an arms race. I think the tough part for Columbus, to be honest, though, is, is that, you know, we just talked about how they probably got to keep all their D now. Uh, they may not, but I'm just saying that's what I would do. Yeah. Um, but on top of all that, even though they got all this cap room, which is an asset, especially at this time of year, they're missing their second and third round pick in this year's draft. And they're missing the second round pick next year for all the moves that they made a year ago at the deadline. So I know that in, in the recent interview I did with Yarmo Kekalainen last week that certainly you know not going into the rental market and not spending more picks was going to be a priority for him now that was before Seth Jones went down um, but you know they do want frankly probably to acquire picks as opposed to spend more picks right so that's a difficult thing you know for for Kekalainen because of how aggressively they went for it last year but again they, they made the right choice a year ago I, I mean they they produced an upset, you know, uh, one of the best upsets in, in the cap era, something to hang their hat on. And uh, and and because and the, the reason he did what he did is he knew they'd come back this year and still be competitive, despite what every, everyone else thought. And he's been proven right. But if there's a way for them to weaponize their cap space, that's probably their best bet, Scotty. You know, they don't want to really use draft picks. Now they got to be careful about trading a D, but could they weaponize their cap space? You know, take on take on a bad contract from someone, and then get an uh, another player on top of that. You know, could they get a top nine forward out of that? That's something I would I would look to do if I were them. Yeah, uh, I, I want to move on because there's uh, there's a ton of stuff that we want to get to today. Um, but you were prescient. I like that word. 
uh, when we were talking about Leafs goaltending situations a while back and who who might be uh, a good target for the Leafs, and and you were you were right on it, my friend. You you noted Jack Campbell as a I don't know whether he was a dark horse or not, but certainly a player that mm-hmm. you know was it maybe wasn't on the front burner in terms of what fans might have been expecting. And uh, I think the early returns for Jack Campbell have been positive in Toronto. Um, Somebody else you're looking forward to in the, you know, in in the coming, you know, before you and I reconvene next week, which will be right on top of the deadline. But is there somebody or a team you're thinking, okay, let's, let's keep an eye on that because your track record is impeccable, my friend. (laughs) No wonder they extended you. Uh, I'm not batting a thousand, that's for sure. But uh, try to stay on top (laughs) of it. I mean, I think what interests me, I mean, I think the St. Louis Blues are going to make a move. Like, I, 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 you know, I thought Doug Armstrong you know, sent a message with his September acquisition of Justin Falk. And never mind the strategy of making sure that if he lost Alex Petrangelo July 1st, that he had another top right-handed D to replace him. I mean, that's the clever part. But I also thought he sent a message to the rest of the hockey world and to his own team. Hey, we're going to try and defend this title. <laughs> we're we're, we're, we're going to live in the here and now, you know. Uh, and so I, I think based on that sensation on that feeling that they've got an aggressive GM who wants to give his team every chance they have to uh, be only the second repeat champion in salary cap era history I, I, I have to believe the Blues have another move up their sleeve and, and we've talked in the past that Chris Kreider uh, we believe is a player of interest to them but it could be someone else um, but that would be the fit for me I mean is making that kind of move and uh i think it'll happen i mean i mean or let's put it this way if it doesn't happen it won't be for a lack of trying right well and it, when we had doug armstrong on to the two-man advantage which was just before the all-star break and we were <laughs> remember we were sort of joking because they were they were absolutely cooking and we joked well oh, you know you're just going to sit around till the playoffs start you know have a have a fruity drink or whatever it was well you know the blues have hit that and i don't know whether it's a wall washington's actually done the same kind of thing it's interesting that the two teams who i think a lot of us have looked to for a lot of this season as the creme de la creme of the respective conferences they both hit kind of a flat spot and i don't know whether it's a wall when you're talking about the blues and you know stanley cup fatigue or whatever it is dog days of the season but they're they're not playing very well right now and the fascinating part and to your point about maybe some more urgency for Doug Armstrong right now is that Colorado as we are chatting here one point back with a game in hand and uh, for first place in the in the central and, and I'm with you I mean Doug Armstrong knows he's got a really good team but you know maybe this level you know this current level of play maybe it begs uh, the kind of spark that would come from, and whether it's a Chris Kreider or Tyler Toffoli or whoever it, he might be looking at, they have tons of young, attractive assets in that pipeline. Um, and I think it'd be fascinating because, you know, the West is, boy, it's, man, you can point to three or four or five teams and you say, well, maybe is this is this a team that comes out of the West? St. Louis is still in that group for me, but maybe they need a shot in the arm and... and I think you're. I think you're right on. Well, I mean, and I, the team I, that's right at their heels, the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, you know, I, I think they could make a couple of moves, not just one. You know, I from my talking to people around the league, um, they've looked at maybe adding a piece on the blue line, and and I think they'd like to add, as I've written, someone who could play on either their third line or second line in that group. There, you know, like another forward that can play. And someone described to me top seven-ish, which maybe that's the new hockey slang. I don't know. I, I thought there was only top six or top nine, but this one person said top seven-ish to me. That's something Colorado's looking at. And um, and why not? They've got a ton of cap room. The window's opening for Colorado. They could absolutely win the Stanley Cup. They've got the team to do it. Uh, Going to be difficult every step of the way. They're no sure bet. To, for example, if the playoffs started today, to beat a very, very tough and grindy Dallas Stars team in the first round. Oh, that Dallas team is built for the playoffs. And, of course, you got the Blues waiting potentially in the second round if you get through that. And Now, in the meantime, the Avs are trying to win that darn division, aren't they? <laughs> As we tape this, they're just one point behind St. Louis, which is 
you know, three weeks ago, we would have thought maybe that was a comfortable lead for St. Louis. Well, and I, you mentioned the Avs and with Nazem Kadri, who I think has been a terrific fit there. And, you know, it's, that's a guy. And when you looked at that team down the middle was, you know, they, I think my sense was that they, they could probably have used another center to, you know, give Jared Bednar uh, lots of options there, but, you know, Nas and Kadri, and I think they're calling it weeks, not days, that he's going to be out. You know, does Pajot become, an, you know, an even more obvious fit? And again, a team that has lots of assets, lots of picks, lots of, you know, they got, they Joe Sackett can do lots of things. But boy, if you, you know, maybe Pajot in there and, yeah, I mean, now all of a sudden you're, you know, now you're getting back to your comment about a potential arms race. You know, what does, you know, with Doug Armstrong and Joe Sackett, eyeing each other okay who's you know who makes that move who makes that you know significant step forward to you know give your team the best chance at least on paper to to have a a successful playoff run I I I think it's fascinating and yeah and I think you're right that central is it's a bear that's it's going to be a bear come April and you know Pajot would be such a great addition but I just wonder if the price will be too exorbitant I mean because I think, you know, Ottawa doesn't have to trade him necessarily. I mean, presumably they'll get somewhere when they start contract talks with Newport where they at least know that, you know, they should get a, a number and a term from Newport that they know that, okay, that, that's if we really have to sign him, that's where we can go as long as Eugene Melnick can live with it. And, uh, and, and so I think it's pretty simple. And frankly, I think this is how the Rangers are going to play the Kreider situation, Scotty. What does it cost us to sign this player, whom we, we really like? And what is the best trade offer on the table? Let's keep running parallel tracks right to the 24th, right? And, and then you just decide what's, you know, what's the best asset management here. Is it taking, if you're Ottawa, is the best offer we have on the table uh, a, second, a second round pick, a fourth round pick, and a, and a young player? Well, is that what we should take? Or is re-signing a local player, Jean-Gabriel, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, who's our you know, best center this year and, and, and has, has been a very good player for us for a long time. Is it not better just to have him around to help shepherd these young players along? I'm not saying that's what they should do, but but that's the debate that Ottawa's going to have right at the end. Yeah. Well, and, and you're right. I mean, Jeff Gortons has, you know, I don't envy his position as GM of the Rangers. He's got uh, Tony D'Angelo on the back end who is having a monster year as and a restricted free agent. Um, you know, you've already got Jacob Truba, uh, you've got Adam Fox, who you'll have to pay it, you know, I think it's two years or three years before you have to pay him. But you've got all these guys on the back end. I talked to a scout who was like, you can't let any of those guys go. Got to keep them. That's how you build a, a Stanley Cup winner. Well, can you can you do that and keep Chris Kreider, who is just scorching hot? Like, it's it's amazing Right. Yeah, like he's a smart guy and he knows where, you know, he knows what, what may be in the wind, you know, the uncertainty with what the Rangers want to do. But holy cow, his value seems to go up every single day the way he's playing. And it's, you know, and the, his value is, it's tremendous to the Rangers if they can find a way to keep him. I'm, I'm not sure they can, dollar in term, but whole, you know, it, to your point, how many teams would love to slot Chris Kreider into their lineup Oof. heading down the stretch? And, you know, to me, he's one of those players that truly can change the balance of power. And whether he ends up in St. Louis or, you know, if there's a... It's easier to see him going west, frankly. But, you know, wherever he ends up, to me, he has the the potential to change the balance of power wherever he goes. Or do you think... I know, listen, I know it's it's hard to in, to implement or integrate an impact player. Sometimes it doesn't work. But to me, he's a guy that has the potential to do that. Yeah, he has the potential to do it. I, I will I will say this. I've really changed my tune on the trade deadline in the last few years. And, and it's not just because, you know, Washington added Kempney and that was it a couple of years ago. Not that he didn't have a factor in it. But, you know, last year the Blues did very little, right? Um, and the more I talk to... Again, I go back to my conversation with Julian Brisebois uh, during the Christmas holidays, who said, you know, he had he had this year studied the last ten trade deadlines, 
scientifically and and weighed the results and could not believe how underwhelming the results were <laughs> and as far as affecting the ultimate result come playoff time and and I still think he's going to do something by the way <laughs> before the deadline but but at least it gives him pause for thought right about not getting swayed with emotion and just because another team's willing to bid this doesn't mean you should follow suit, right? I mean, I think that's probably why he did this study is to, you know, put some self-control in there as, as you know, the heat of the moment arrives closer to the 24th. Yeah, do I think Chris Kreider can be a great ad? Of course I do, but I, but I will say this, you know, and Kevin Hayes going to Winnipeg last year was a great example since we're talking about the New York Rangers. Kevin Hayes did nothing in Winnipeg. You know, he, he just did not gain the trust of Paul Maurice. I'm guessing if they spent a year together, that at some point Kevin Hayes becomes a player and Paul Maurice trusts him. But it just shuts a, a, such a short time frame for players to get into a new system, a new dressing room, a new coach. Some guys are really good at it. Paul Stashney goes to Winnipeg and it's like he's been there 10 years. Remember that year? Um, but not not everyone. I mean, I love the example in Chicago one year of Antoine Vermette. Joel Quenville didn't want to dress Antoine Vermette in a closet, let alone the bench. And and Vermette ends up by necessity finding his way back, um, you know, uh, out of the dressing room and into the bench and uh, and in a, in a lineup eventually and. And of course, scores a cup—not uh, a cup-winning goal, but a, a win, an overtime goal in a cup final. But that was an example of a player, for whatever reason, that needed a just—you know—just had enough time to finally figure it out. There, right? It just wasn't a great deadline ad until then. That's the risk of going big at the deadline. And I think I got to be honest. I think there are more and more teams that think that—that—that that, that think that the uh, that the depth move is a wiser move than than the home run move. Well, and and you're absolutely. I mean, Antoine Vermette was a healthy scratch during that 15 playoff run. Mm-hmm. It was. I mean, it was, and they paid a pretty penny to to bring him aboard. And at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. They would never have changed. You know, like Stan Bowman would never change anything, because it yielded. It was. It was part of the puzzle that that brought them a Stanley Cup. But it didn't. It didn't play out the way people thought. And, and just before we go for a brief break, I want to leave you. I want to ask you then: Isn't is Taylor Hall one of those? It's not a cautionary tale necessarily. But when you talk about going for the home run, and listen, you know we praised Arizona and John Chaka. They got Taylor Hall early. He's played twenty four games for them. Okay, so he's got twenty points in twenty four games. There's that's not. That's not nothing, but, you know, he's got 14 goals total in 54 games this year. He's, you know, the Arizona Coyotes are, are as we're chatting, I have to go and check this now. They're, I think they're, they're, sitting they're in a wild card playoffs. spot. Yeah. Yep. In a wild card spot, but precarious given that they played more games than anyone in the Pacific Division that's in the hunt. And at the end of the day, you know, that team may not make the playoffs, and Taylor Hall is not, it's certainly not producing at a pace that, is mindful of the year he won the Hart Trophy in New Jersey uh, several years ago. So I get maybe this is to your point. You have to you have to balance what is the risk and reward for, for you know for going for an elite player like Taylor Hall. I, I'm not saying he's not an elite player. I'm just not sure he's done what Arizona might have expected when they got him. To, is that fair? Or what yeah, do you I don't know that it is. I actually think he's he's been pretty darn good for them, and, and I think unfairly to Taylor Hall I think what's happened is people have looked at Arizona's nosedive down the standings since uh, mid to late December and pointed a straight line towards acquisition of Taylor Hall when in fact the straight line should be pointed to the loss of Darcy Kemper their number one goalie yeah it it just so happens those two events occurred almost within days of each other but that's the real reason Arizona has struggled is, is is losing Darcy Kemper and and the false alarm of him coming back for the Montreal game this week and then he has a setback. Um, you know, I, I I dove into this subject, uh, made some calls over the last couple of days, talked about it on Insider Trading and and in my piece in the Athletic uh, Wednesday. But because I, I, to, it's a legitimate question that you raise, which is what should Arizona do with Taylor Hall at a deadline if they're not in the playoff spot? So I did ask it to some sources uh, with the Coyotes and around Taylor Hall. And what I got is that they, 
that's not even on their for like they're not even thinking about that 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 they they acquired him for the long haul that they were going to use all the time they had right up to July first to try and convince him to stay on and 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 you know the fact that Coyotes owner Alex Morello who's on the current road trip you know had dinner Sunday night with Darren Ferris the agent for Taylor Hall and with John Chaka the GM they're all trying to get on the same page here and they're all trying to paint a picture of you know, does Taylor Hall want to stay? My, my, my point is, there's obviously a risk because if they stick to that plan and, and it sounds like they're they're quite adamant about it that Taylor Hall is going to finish the year in Arizona, then the risk is that they don't sign him and he walks out the door and they, and they and, you know, and they gave up some assets. So, but, the, you know, there are no guarantees in the NHL. And, you know, they feel as a franchise, as someone said to me yesterday, that the impact that he's already had off the ice in Arizona, as far as ticket sales, as far as buzz, as far as people talking about Taylor Hall, has already shown itself acquiring a player of that magnitude. So, you know, they have one thing left that they can give him after the season that no one else can, and that's the eighth year, right? Um, is that enough to keep him there, or does he hit the market? You know, it's going to be interesting. I will say this. If it's only up to Darren Ferris, the agent, just based on his track record, he loves showing his clients the market, at least the UFA speaking period. But if Taylor Hall loves Scottsdale and decides that, you know what, I, I think pretty awesome living here and this team's on the rise, then maybe he he orders his agent to end, end things before that. We'll see. Yeah. Well, and I, I wasn't suggesting that you can <clears throat> – draw a line between the Coyotes up and down play over the last month and Taylor Hall. But I, I did talk to a scout who was like, yeah, you know, okay. Yeah. He's, he's been there. It, it's not on Taylor Hall, but I'm not sure he's been, you know, he's not producing at a heart trophy level. And and maybe to your point, if he extends, maybe it's next year, he's back up in, you know, 90 plus points. And he's, you know, he's, he's back to that late. He had 93 points in uh, in New Jersey, the year he won the Hart Trophy, and they went to the playoffs. I mean, and maybe it takes that amount of time for it to really set and to be, you know, w- what you want. But that's the great risk of whether it's Chris Kreider or Taylor Hall or JG Pajo. If you just don't know, right? That's the that's the roll of the dice at the trade deadline. So. Yep. No, I. All right. You're bang on, my friend. <laughs> All right. Don't go anywhere. We'll take a brief break. We're going to come back. I want to ask you about uh, another fascinating piece you had this week. And we will be chatting, as promised, with Minnesota Wild GM Bill Guerin. But uh, don't go away. We'll be right back. If you were to guess, on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically, a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to getroman.com advantage for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Advantage for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. I, I really enjoyed your piece on the developments in the, or potential developments, in the international hockey realm, and specifically the fact that the IOC, who you and I have taken some delight in kicking around, uh, <laughs> over in recent months for their stance on how they view the NHL and NHL players and their participation in the Olympics. But it sounds like the IOC has, you know, at least come back to um, where they were before when the NHL was a full participant in five straight Olympics, if I'm not mistaken. 
Um, now it's now still lots of moving parts to that, but uh, I thought your um, your conversation with Matthew Schneider of the NHLPA was uh, was interesting and predictably the NHL a little bit more moderate in terms of their enthusiasm. But this is a pretty big deal, I think, having the IOC come back and agree to uh, ante up for things like transportation insurance, and sounds like they're at least willing to discuss the idea of you know, allowing the league and players association to um, market or use images and to promote their players um, and their participation at the Olympics, something mm-hmm. they haven't been able to do in the past. So, yeah, so it's it's, uh, it's a real significant development. And, um, you know, I don't think Matthew Schneider could hide his excitement, quite frankly, when we chatted over the weekend. Um, because, you know, let's face it, that, that was... As much as we, you know, the owners and the players have been pitted against themselves on this issue of Olympic participation, they were not when it came to 2018 in South Korea. They they were on the same page when it came to the idea of the IOC not wanting to pay for anything. I mean, come on. I mean, the players aren't the players aren't going to sign up for that either. So from that perspective, the IOC, I mean, the, the NHL and NHLPA were together. But now they're back to being pitted against each other, clearly, because <laughs> I think the PA left that meeting last week in New York saying, all right, like, where do we sign up? Let's let's keep working on this and uh, get it signed. And the NHL, you know, you can certainly tell from the comment I got from Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. Uh, yes, it was nice that the IOC addressed a lot of those concerns. However, in the bigger picture, you know, still lots of things to work through. I'm not overly optimistic, which is essentially the quote from Bill Daly. <laughs> So uh, a different sensation for sure. And, you know, I, I, I think, quite frankly, it's CBA posturing and on one level. I think the league, and I guess you could argue smartly, but the league is going to want to extrapolate something from the players in, in CBA negotiations, which, by the way, resumed this week. Um, and which I think pisses off the players, or at least the PA hierarchy to some degree, because I think their feeling is, well, why, like, why do we have to give something up in CBA negotiations for doing, for, for for accepting what seems like an amazing opportunity for everyone involved, which is going to Beijing on that huge stage, and and gaining from it both as NHL players and and for the sport, and I, I gotta say I'm, I'm I kind of get that PA view, uh, viewpoint now. Listen, I'm not naive. One of the things that happened by not going to uh, South Korea in 2018 is that NHL owners reminded themselves that, you know what, life is good. We don't interrupt the season. <laughs> they, they, they were quite thrilled. And the problem for Gary Bettman now, and that's if the commissioner even wants to go to Beijing, and I don't know that. He never speaks too glowingly of the idea. But even if he t- comes around to the idea that, you know, we, we owe this to our top players and, you know, this is a good marketing opportunity for us in, uh, in this amazing country uh, of China, he, he's got a problem on his hands. He's got to convince his a lot of his owners who, frankly, have no interest, right? Now, he's good at it. I mean, Gary Bettman knows how to work a room at the Board of Governors. <laughs> but it would be easier for him to do that probably if he comes with a box of chocolates handed to him from the HLPA and CBA negotiations. So that's where this is all headed here is, is that the league has to get something out of this and which I think is unfortunate. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I mean, it is, it, it is what it is in terms of, yes. I mean, Gary Bettman is, is going to try and leverage this into whatever give back he can get. And, I'm asking, let me ask you this. If you pulled, if you had over a glass of red or a cup of tea or a beer with owners from all 31 teams, and let's call call it 32 now with with Seattle. If you pulled them quietly, do you think their dislike or apparent distaste for going to the Olympics would be as pronounced as Gary and Bill would have us believe. I mean, they, you know, the position now is, oh, the owners all, the owners all hate the Olympics. And I wonder if you sat down one by one and talked about the potential 
uh, and just the experience of being at the Olympics and how many of who knows how many of them have actually been to see any of these Olympic hockey tournaments with NHL players. Do you think it would be that pronounced if you if you if you went one by one? Yeah, well, obviously we're speaking the theoretical because you know it's probably impossible to do. And in fact, when it comes to CBA matters, the owners are directed not to talk to us. <laughs> yes, but they are. Uh, but I did under penalty of death. Yeah, but I did hear from a couple of governors who responded to my article by saying fat chance, by the way. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it, what's unfortunate is a lack of vision that some of these owners have, you know, yes, it's, it stinks for your building and for the interest in your team that shut down for two and a half weeks. But my goodness, have you ever sat back? Uh, you know, I, I keep going back to this one comment that Victor Hedman gave me this year when I wrote about the Olympics during the holidays. He said he only picked up the game of hockey because he saw Sweden play in the Olympics. It wasn't because of the NHL. The Olympics is what made Victor Hedman a hockey player. Aren't we better for that? I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm probably the worst person to talk to about this because I, I, I completely lack new, neutrality on the subject. I, I think it's complete garbage that there is actually a chance that Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews and Rasmus Dahlin and Patrick Laine may not play for their countries in Olympic games in their careers. Like, it, it actually frightens me to think that that could actually happen. And hopefully not. Now that the IOC has opened its arms and clearly admitted its mistakes from, from uh, 2018, it, it's just so hard to justify not sending the best players in the world on the world's biggest stage. And even if you're not going to make money out of it, the, the idea that you're going to have eyeballs on your players that have never been on your players before, it's, it's just, I, I guess, I guess I'm not cut of wall street or Bay street that I, I just see it more in a, from the artistic point of view, I guess, but I just, it's amazing to me that not everyone shares that vision. It's, it's funny because I'm in Carolina. We're going to take a break, or not a break, but we're going to hear from Bill Guerin just momentarily here. But um, I, I'm in Carolina, work on some stories, and I, I'm just thinking about this Carolina lineup, and there are probably, like off the top of my head, there's probably, I don't know, six or seven, maybe more, potential Olympians on this lineup in Carolina. And I, I can't imagine that this marketplace which has been rejuvenated over the last year or so wouldn't just be all in to watch those players on the stage in in Beijing I just I can't imagine it would not have some benefit and I was going to say tangible but maybe that I mean and I know that's a problem for owners how do you how do you quantify it but I just can't believe that this really you know, re a market in Renaissance wouldn't be all in to watch those players play in the Olympics, but maybe I'm wrong. But you know, I'm with you on this. You're preaching to the converted on that. Yes, so. we need to go do another Olympics together, brother. Maybe we'll share a room oh again. Oh my gosh! And you'll put pepper- oh. pepperoni sticks in my luggage, and uh, <laughs> uh, who knows what might happen after that. Oh, my God. Uh, that's probably a good place to uh, leave that conversation and bring in. Minnesota Wild GM Bill Guerin. Hey guys, Billy, just like magic, isn't that? That's amazing. I got to be honest with you. I'm talking into my computer right now uh, through this link that Jeff sent me, and it's it's a little different. It's a little it, different. You sound you sound like you're sitting right next to me in uh, in Raleigh. So crystal keep clear. It up. All right, great. <laughs> um, so uh, obviously we're going to chat about your big week, but uh, just to maybe piggyback on uh, what Pierre was saying, Bill, can you remind me, what's your Olympic experience? What uh, Tell me, can you remind me? Uh, three Olympics. Three Olympics. Three. Um, uh, Nagano, Salt Lake, and Torino. Uh, silver medal in, uh, in Salt Lake. Wow. Uh, great experiences. I mean, honestly, God, it was uh, – you know, I was nine years old when the Miracle on Ice happened, and I know the 40th and I can't believe the 40th anniversary 40 years. is yeah. coming up. But that was a, you know, the Miracle on Ice was a big, um, a big reason I wanted to be a hockey player. I mean, it was just so, 
so impactful on my on my uh, you know my my love of hockey and uh, and, and playing for my country. It was a, a real you know goal. Like I, I wanted to play for play in the Olympics and play for my country. It's, there's nothing like it. Yeah, and those are some. So those are some. Uh, uh, it's Pierre here talking, Bill, and I, I covered uh, Salt Lake, uh, and that, that was a pretty amazing tournament. And of course, for Team USA, you guys played your guts out and and had the whole sort of uh, the emotion of nine eleven weighing uh, on a lot of people through that tournament. And, and I thought you guys, you know, did your country so proud. And um, but you know. Team Canada had a burden that they were. I knew that. I knew to. that was coming. I know. Here. Oh, uh, well, but, but, I, I, but Team Canada. Oh, yeah, God. I know. Well, but <laughs> Team Canada dodged when Team Canada dodged that bullet and uh, by, by playing Belarus and they gave me a break. You guys must no, have been like, was, "Come on, right? Come on!" Oh, <laughs> figures, just figures. No, it was. You know what? It, it was a great tournament to. You know what? To play in the Olympics in your home country was you know when mm-hmm. when um you know we played we played team russia on february 22nd yeah and um so what i mean you know it was the anniversary of that game again and just to to play that game on the anniversary for me great was semi. like what oh my game. god this is incredible and we won i think we won four two and and i don't know it was just a big thrill uh, for, for me, yeah, for me was that great. was the most exciting game of the tournament. Was that USA Russia game? Yeah, um, yeah, it was crazy for sure. Yeah, well, a lot of fun. I, so, it, so we're gonna move on, and maybe it's unfair because now, I mean, you are you're on the other. I don't want to say that you're on the other side now, but you you're you're in management. You've been in management now for what four or five years. And Pierre and I, of course, were discussing that, you know, can the, you know, is there a way for the NHL to return to the Olympics in Beijing in 2022? And like, what's your, what's your gut tell you? I mean, you, you're in an interesting perspective now because you, you know, you, you get what it's like to be a player and play in those moments. Is, is, is there a place? Are you hoping that the NHL players will be back in Beijing in 2022? I don't want to put you on the spot, but you, you can tell us. You don't want to put me on the spot, but you're going to put me on the spot. Um, I don't really mean well, to. Yeah, let, can, let, I just... let me answer it this way. <laughs> the player inside, you know, in, in me says yes. But then as you get involved in management and you're exposed to different information and, and things, there's just a lot more that goes into it than just saying yes or no. So I let the powers that be handle that. And I, I understand, like, this is not – this is not just a last second decision. Yeah, we'll go. You know, there there's just so much more that goes into it than that. Now, 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 Billy, you could you could tell us how Vera, how you really, uh, really, because you know, because you know, you know that we can keep a secret because you once Sorry. ran it. You once ran into Scotty and I at the Minneapolis airport when uh, the Wild were conducting uh, interviews for the GM job. Uh, a year before you got that job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know I can trust you guys. I know I can trust you guys. <laughs> well, that, listen, that you, was uh... actually that was actually very funny. I was, you know, when I was walking through the airport and I saw you guys, and I'm like, oh man, yeah, you looked happy. <laughs> and I, I will say, I asked both of you to keep it keep it under wraps because I didn't want anything getting out. You, and we both met. You are both men of your word. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it, that's a great segue because it didn't happen for you after that interview, but of course, uh, just before the start of this season, you did become the GM of the Minnesota Wild, and this week um, pulled off your first big trade, and it was it was fascinating. Then, of course, it's a trade with the team you know very well, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and and a man you know very well, in Jim Rutherford, a man that that helped you learn the ropes as a GM. And I wonder, is can you walk us through what it was like to, you know, you send a, a, a really important player and a really great guy in Jason Zucker to Pittsburgh. You get a first-round pick. You have a, a young prospect you know from Pittsburgh, plus Alex Galchenyuk. How important was it, or what was it like to, to do that kind of deal with a guy that you know so well in an organization you know so well? Did it make it easier, or was it more difficult, or what was the dynamic like for you? No, I, it, it, it definitely, uh, 
I, I think it made it easier. I know, like, there are a lot of people like, don't go back to the well. Don't go right to Pittsburgh for your first deal. And to be honest with you, I guess I just didn't worry about it too much. Like, you know what? I The, the one thing is that I trust Jim, and we have a very good relationship. And, you know, I, I've said it in other interviews, and one of the first things that – and it happened right here in the St. Paul Hotel. Jim and I were having lunch. He said, you know what, Billy? He goes – Never, never try to, never try to win a trade. Make it as even as possible. Make it fair, because that way it'll work for both teams, and you'll be able to get deals done with that other GM in the future. You know, if you try to wait and wait and try to, you know, just get the upper hand to say that you want to trade, you know, the guy's not going to want to deal with you. And and you know that because of that, just dealing with Jim just gave me a big comfort level, and and I knew what we were getting back. And I knew what we were giving them. And it, 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 I think it really does work for both sides. And it, it, it was good doing it with, uh, with Jim and the Penguins. Yeah, you, you had quite the line that I saw Mike Russo and, and some of the Minnesota media guys tweet out that uh, <laughs> you were on the other side of that uh, Zucker deal last summer, essentially. <laughs> which yeah, uh, which was, fell through, was... obviously, with Kessel uh, nixing the trade. But it's kind of funny. It, it is kind of funny. Yeah, I was, I mean, six months ago, I was trying to trade for Jason Zucker in Pittsburgh. And, and then yesterday, uh, um, uh, Chris O'Hearn, a, a guy here in our office, said, you know, you're the only player that's traded for Alex Galchenyuk two times in less than a year. <laughs> so I guess he's my guy. Yeah. But, um, exactly. It's just kind of funny how, how quickly things change. But, um, you know, it, uh, I really do think the trade – is going to work out well for both teams. Yeah, and and Kalen Addison uh, had a terrific World Junior, and I know we've been trained not to overreact to World Juniors, Billy, both for draft prospects that don't have good World Juniors or for drafted players who have great World Juniors. But nevertheless, he was quite the player for for the gold medal uh, Team Canada there, gold medal winning team. And did he catch your eye while you were there? Or is that part yeah, of absolutely, absolutely. You know what he. The biggest thing for me was like, yeah, he had a great world junior, and yet you have to be careful not to get too excited or too down on a guy if he have, if it's the opposite, if he has a bad one. Um, I can speak for experience. I played in two of them. I never scored a goal, so uh, it's it's not the uh, it's not the end of the world. But um, when we brought Kalen Addison into Wilkesbury at the end of last year, we kind of threw him right in the, you know, right into the lion's den and brought him over to Lehigh Valley to to play a game against our arch rivals and uh, it was a pretty hostile environment and Kalen was running the power play for us. He was going back for pucks. He was competing. He was, um, you know, taking in, you know, giving back uh, physical play and he was, uh, he was right in on it. So that really said a lot to me about his, uh, about his character. Bill, your team's in a, in a, Interesting spot, Pierre and I were talking about it earlier in this podcast, just, you know, how tight things are. And as we're chatting here today, you guys are seven and three in your last 10. You are four points out of the second wildcard spot with three games in hand on Arizona. What's that like for you to sort of straddle, you know, the message you want to send to the guys in, in that room that, listen, this is, they've opened a door to get to the playoffs, but also wanting to make sure that, this team is where you want it to be as you head into your first draft and, and looking at the next year. What's, what's it like for you to balance that? Well, it's, it's tough because you, you know, there, there are a couple things that you want to, you know, you want to accumulate assets going into the draft. I, I, that's why I feel the first round pick was so important. Um, you, but you also want you, your competitive nature wants you to win every single game and you want to respect the work that the, that the players have, put into this season and you know if if look at if there's an opportunity for us to get in the playoffs well let's do it and um you know if you know i know some people say well you want as high a pick as possible well you know we'd also like to play in the postseason and um so if there's an opportunity there let's do it and we're right there and you know we're not i don't feel like we're in a bad position right now or it's one of those things where you know we're going to control our own destiny you know, one thing that I thought was interesting about the trade that you made with Pittsburgh, Bill, and 
and also the potential maybe another move or two that you may make for the 24th or none is that you're not you're not in the traditional uh, rental seat are you i mean you don't you, you haven't inherited a roster where you've got nine players with expiring ufa deals i mean you really only have the one in miko koivu and that's a special situation where you're gonna you know obviously with him having the no move and the respect you have for your captain that you know that's a delicate situation and he probably has more say in that than you do but um what i'm saying is sometimes when you inherit a team and you're trying to make changes there's usually five or six ufas and that's an easy way to get going you're you're gonna have to make hockey deals whether it's this this over the next 10 days or or at the june draft as opposed to you know perhaps the easy sell and that and that is an interesting way to start as gm right and I, i i'm actually happy with the position i'm in because coming here i didn't really know these guys but you know, over the last six months, you, you know, you spend time with the team. You you see how guys react in certain situations. You see their personality. We have a lot of good people here. We have a lot of good players. Um, yeah, it's, you know, some things might have to change. Does it have to change tomorrow? Not necessarily. We're a pretty good team. Um, so I, I feel I've been allowed the luxury of uh, being able to be patient uh, with, with having a good team and, and at the same time. Um, you know, our, our, our poor start really, uh, you know, is, is looks like it's, it's, you know, kind of hurt us now. Um, but we're not, we're not dead yet. And so I, I really feel like, you know, as a general manager, I'm in a, I'm in a good position. I have players that people would make hockey deals for. So, um, you know, not a bad spot to be in. All right, Bill, we're going to let you go because we, we know you're busy, but just, you can tell us. Yeah. What else? What happens between now and uh, February twenty fourth? Uh, you got uh, what's the? What do you think? What do, what else you got up your sleeve? Uh, I don't have a couple aces. That's for sure. Is, uh, um, is Crosby but, available on your own your old team? Maybe eighty seven. Is he available? I don't know. I, I I I doubt it. I doubt it. When it, when we were playing together, I always told him. I said, you know what? I'm going to try to become a GM so I can trade you. And, uh, <laughs> He always laughed at me, but um, maybe I could trade for him. But I, I don't think Jim would go for that one. Um, but you know what? It, we'll, we'll see. You know what? My phone's on. Uh, I'm having some great conversations with other GMs. Um, you know, it, it's it's uh, this is my first time around, so I'm learning a lot. And, um, you know, a lot of guys are there. It's actually a good process to go through, even though even if something doesn't happen. Yeah, well, well, some, because some of the conversations you have now, my experience is I'll often hear GM say this. You get to the draft and there's a pretty interesting trade that happens. And I'll always ask, well, when did you guys first start approaching this? And they'll be like, February. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, oh, yeah. It, it's sort of often you just plant the seed for something months down the road. Yeah. Well, I mean, with the trade that we just made, uh, I mean, I, I got the job and day two, Jim called me and says, what are you doing with Zucker? <laughs> there you go. So yeah, they they all the, you know even like I said, even if something doesn't happen, it, it's a good good process to go through where you you learn a lot and you know you, you create relationships with the other guys. Good stuff. Well, listen, Bill Garen, thank you for dropping by and hanging out with uh, Pierre and I today. It's been great. It's always great to catch up with you. Oh, and uh, thank you. Yeah, thank. Thanks for doing it. Thanks. Anytime. Yeah, this is uh, always good to catch up with you guys. And I'll, I'll see you down the road. Sounds good, Billy. That sounds like a good plan. I still remember uh, that afternoon. We, In fact, uh, in the uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport, Pierre, I think we were headed to uh, Winnipeg maybe during the uh, Nashville-Winnipeg series. Is that possible in uh, 2018? So. Mm-hmm. That, that's exactly what we were doing. I like that little uh, pizza place. We had some nice wine we... and pizza in there. Yeah, no direct flights out of Winnipeg. So we, we spent a lot of time in that uh, MSB airport. Um, nice little wine store in there that I like as well. Yep, and, I like that. Uh, typed up a lot of our off-day columns at that pizza place. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Sometimes we'd share one. Sometimes we'd share a pizza together and share yeah. a salad. Yes, we <laughs> Yes, I enjoyed would. those. I enjoyed those midday travel dates you and I, you and I had. You know, it's it's uh, it was very civil. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I mean, it's, it's always great to catch up with Bill, and uh, 
you know what? I, I like that. I'm, you know, it sounds, I sound like Eddie Haskell, but I, I'm with him. I think that deal works for both those, both teams. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether Alex Gelchenyak can, can find some traction in, you know, down the stretch with Minnesota as he plays out, uh, he's an expiring contract, but, and I think Jason Zucker is, he's going to be a force with Pittsburgh and, and they're right in the mix in, in the East. What's your, so what's your gut tell you about the wild? Well, I think Kalen out, Kalen Addison will decide, you know, whether or not Bill yeah. did well in this trade. Well, and the first round he, pick too. So. And, and no, yeah. And no yeah. offense to Galchenyuk, but I mean, the Penguins have been trying to trade him for two months. So, so that was really, if anything else, you know, Pittsburgh had to include him in that deal so they could fix the ledger cap wise. But, you know, why not if you're Bill Guerin uh, and take a test try with a player? You know, reminds me a bit of Ottawa taking Anthony DeClaire back last year. Columbus is loading up, but they get rid of him. And Ottawa's like, ah, well, we'll give him a look. And next thing you know, he's he's been a bit of a revelation for Ottawa. So you never know. Uh, at some point, the light bulb goes on. But, you know, I think it was important for Bill Guerin to make a move. It takes the pressure off now that if he doesn't do anything to now on the 24th, because really he doesn't have to. Again, as we said, he doesn't really have any pending UFAs other than Miko Koivu, which is a very specific situation. We'll see how that plays out. But at least now he's done it. He sent a message to the room. Um, you know, I don't know that he could have afforded to do nothing because, you know, if there was nothing wrong with the team, why was Paul Fenton fired and, and why was Bill Guerin hired, right? I mean, it, it's kind of a weird thing to say, but at some point you do have to make a trade. And, and I thought Bill Guerin did a good job. And, and I think he's going to be really good at that job. You know, I think he has that demeanor about him. You know, I, I, I will tell you this, that a lot of what I've deciphered over the years about GMs making deals with each other. And often you may have a player that you need to park somewhere that's really going to help someone and you know it, but you just can't keep with your team anymore. And you will, what you will see is there will be a pattern of GMs who make trades with each other and guys that they trust. I think Bill Guerin is going to become one of those guys that GMs are going to you know, want to trust and perhaps it may benefit him over the course of time as he gets more experience under his belt because of the way he handles himself and deals with people. I really think that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I agree with you entirely. And I think it's, and I think it's, I, I'm, you know, I'm pleased for Bruce Boudreaux and, and that team has really, you know, they're coming off a, you know, a pretty emphatic win over a, you know, a Vegas Golden Knights team that is, you know, right in the hunt to, try and stay in the top eight too so it'll be interesting to see between now and the 24th what happens and then how you know whether this wild team you know I I don't like their chances frankly but man I didn't think they'd be where they are now and so they're they're right in the hunt and and good for them to to do so they they have shocked me because I gotta tell you I thought the start of the season was who they were (laughs) yes I mean I'm not gonna mince words I I I have no idea how they waxed Vegas the other night (laughs) I mean, good for them. I mean, you know, they're human beings, and they probably embarrassed at the start of their season. Um, yeah. Bruce Boudreaux is a heck of a coach. You know, if you if you were ever a team that wanted the tank, and I'm not saying Minnesota ever wanted the tank, although picking high would have been good for them, Bruce Boudreaux is not the guy you want behind the bench because he's not going to let teams tank. You yeah. know, players play for that guy, yeah. and you're seeing that. Um, all right, before we uh, bring this to a close, uh, yeah, very difficult day for a lot of us in uh, the media business in general, and certainly the sports business uh, uh, with the passing of great Canadian journalist Christy Blatchford, a uh, woman I worked alongside both as a news guy at the Toronto Sun and then in sports at the National Post. and. Pierre, you and I have spent a lot of time with Christy Blatchford over the years, uh, a lot of social times, and uh, there simply isn't, there just isn't anyone like Christy Blatchford, how she did the job, her love for the profession, and certainly her love of sports, and specifically hockey. I mean, she was, she was hockey. She was as Canadian as they, as they get in terms of her love for the game and for players, and if you've ever read any of the, the the things she wrote at olympics or various points um and it's tough to say goodbye to her that's the it's a hard day yeah yeah that was that was just soul crushing to uh i would found out recently that she wasn't doing well and, and then they get the news today and i you know I, you were her friend i mean i i got to be in her orbit because of you and al strachan really who allowed me to 
to suddenly be in her social circle years ago. Uh, we kind of lost touch, but in those years, going to her house parties and meeting so many interesting people from different sections of life, it, you felt like you had lived life after going to a party at Christy Blatchford's. And uh, I don't mind sharing this memory because I know you love it, but at one point, after one too many drinks, wearing her, uh, <laughs> wearing her, wearing her bathrobe, and, and sitting on the roof of the house with with her yes. and a few other friends, and just talking about life and looking at the stars. Uh, yeah, and and you know, it's funny the word fearless. How often they got thrown around today uh, for people commenting on on her as a person and her as a superstar journalist. I, I think it's I think it's perfect because she really was fearless. I know I'm not. <laughs> yeah. And uh and she was and you know one of the very first female sports writers but then it goes going on to much bigger things as far as such an important voice for uh you know for Canadians and for you know for people in Toronto. Yeah. It's uh no good. Gone way too young. Yeah. And I'll tell you a very difficult day but I did on my flight to Raleigh today almost burst out uh, in laughter thinking about that party and uh, thinking about you in Blatches. Uh, I think it was a white bathrobe. <laughs> I don't know what possessed you to put it on. And I do remember being I, on the I, roof, I think so. I, I think I had dropped, uh, I dropped a beer or a glass of wine on my shirt or something, and I was just <laughs> looking for something to wear, yeah. Uh, anyway, it helped me get through a very difficult day, so I'm, I'm glad I have that memory to take with me. Uh, a couple of housekeeping things. Um, when we were talking about other pods in the athletic podcast universe uh pierre you and i were talking earlier about uh, jay bonebeaster and his uh, scary incident uh, in anaheim well you should and we should all you should always tune in for we went blues our top end st louis blues podcast but this week barrett jackman and jeremy rutherford will be uh, giving you all the latest on jay bonebeaster and blues news so make sure you tune in to that podcast um and we would hope that you would rate and subscribe to two-man advantage on apple and if you click on the show's url theathletic.com slash two-man advantage you'll get 40 percent off on your subscription uh and as always my friend uh, terrific to catch up with you that was a ton of fun and uh i hope you have a great week and we'll do it again a week for now right on right on brother